0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette.
1: Hey everyone.
0: Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 7, Customer Survey.
1: This is probably my favorite along with Stress Relief, which is later this season. It's just a solid, very tight episode, very funny all the way around. And I think it's one of the more highly rated episodes of the whole series.
0: I would agree with what you said, especially in comparison with the last episode where yeah. you have one, while major plot line, it's very kind of drawn out with how they do it. And then they you have two subplots that are basically pointless. In this episode, Michael tells everyone he's engaged, Andy finds the perfect venue for he and Angela's wedding, and Kelly gets revenge. So we kick this episode off with a cold open with everybody congratulating Michael on his engagement. Except there's one problem and Daryl points it out and he says, I was there That dude is not engaged.
1: Several people are crowded into the doorway of Michael's office. Uh, Andy, Phyllis, Kelly, Jim, and Kevin, I believe. And I think Meredith is in there as well. And it kicks off with Dwight being the first one to come in and sort of, you know, give Michael a playful punch on the arm. And so. This is another instance of a lot of things with Michael and Holly's relationship happening off screen. We don't have, we don't actually see Michael telling the office, but we can sort of imagine how it would go. Probably an all-persons announcement. <laughs> Andy uh, puts the feelers out to do a double wedding. Michael says, we would never do that. And if we would, we would do it with Jim and Pam. Jim's instant response, we would never do that. <laughs> Kelly has bought a bridesmaid's dress, and similar to when she came to Phyllis's wedding, she has decided that the best color is white. And then Kevin asks if Michael has told his mom. And this is where things get a little weird.
0: Yes, this is another one of those instances of Michael being very bad at improv, even though he loves (laughs) improv. Yeah. All he has to say here is, yep, I did she was really excited about it and that's it like he's been lying to this point up until now so why start telling the truth now and he says no hasn't told his mom everyone gets michael to call his mother at that moment and tell her the big news and michael leads off with mom i'm getting married and her immediate response is no you're not Apparently, this is not the first time Michael has called and told her he is getting married.
1: Michael takes the approach of, like, the secret or something. If he just says it out loud, it'll just come true.
0: Yeah. And so the jig is pretty much up at this point. Michael doesn't feel that he should be lying to his mom and tells her, along with everyone else, that, in fact, no he is not engaged. The main part of the episode starts off with Kelly bringing in the customer surveys and the receipt to her bridesmaid's dress into Michael. And it is up to Michael to go over each person's sales review with them.
1: So each year, Kelly calls everyone's customers and just gets a sense of how things are going. I have a lot of questions about this system. It doesn't seem to take into account immediate problems, which I'm sure she addresses in the moment that they arise. Also, what about customers that have left? New customers? It just seems a little messy in some regards. Mm-hmm. My next question: What else does Kelly do then? <laughs> it does not seem to be a very robust job title, but then again, neither does, like, for instance, mayor. This job. Or Creed's job?
0: I really don't know what Meredith does.
1: I don't either. Creed,
0: I know what Creed does. (laughs) Meredith is the only person I have no idea what she actually does.
1: I think she's supposed to be like a representative liaison. But we don't ever see her. She's such a minor character that we don't see her taking meetings We know she's not in accounting, we know she's not in sales, but it's never really, like, quite clear. And this episode is one in which, like, we don't even see Oscar on screen. We don't even see Stanley on screen. The most camera time that most people get, if you're not Jim, Dwight, Michael, Kelly, or Pam, is in that cold open when they're crowded into Michael's office. So we really haven't had a lot of opportunities for some of our minor characters to get some storylines. And that's something that in season three and four, we were really seeing a lot more of. So with the customer surveys, Michael calls each salesperson in to go over the numbers with them.
0: And as Jim points out, these are very important because the results on their customer surveys are directly tied to their bonuses. And for Jim, this is especially important because he tells us that he is in the process of buying his parents' house. And so he very much needs this money so he can go forward with that.
1: Let's talk about this for just a second. It'll come up more in an episode down the road. As Jim tells the camera, it's going to be a fun surprise for Pam, doesn't want to ruin it for her. Curtis, is this something that you should do? Buy a house for you and your partner to live in without your partner having any sort of input?
0: Yes and no. <laughs> okay, uh,
1: what's the yes?
0: I, I guess the, the yes part of it for me is if you were in a situation that, say, you and I were in, and you moved into the house that I owned... You didn't have any say in that house. Granted, we, we, weren't you, we weren't together at that point, but it's still, uh, it's, it's kind of the same thing in my mind, I guess.
1: Sure, that's a good point.
0: But yes, I've most major decisions being made by people who are in a relationship should be made with the input of both people.
1: I think my perspective is it's going to affect both their finances. I'm curious Also a good point. Yeah, I'm curious if he's buying it uh, solely, if it's just going to be in his name, or if this is going to be a joint purchase. I mean, it sounds like it's only going to be in his name because she's going to have to sign a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of logistics there. There's also part of it where if you don't have have a super picky partner or in the sense of someone that just has a strong opinion about how they want like their kitchen or their bedroom or something to look like. And for most people, they're never gonna get a 100% of what they want. Like I really enjoy our current home, but I would love to have a larger master bathroom. Dwight gets his results first. And Michael does not appear to review these files before the person walks in. They are both being surprised, I guess, if you will, together. And Dwight has not done very well. Apparently, his customers find his personal style abrasive and distasteful.
0: Jim also has negative comments on his review, and the feedback that he gets is that he is smug and arrogant. So let's talk about these here, because if I was going to pick two people in the office who... We're going to get poor reviews. Well, there'd probably be three people in the office who was going to get poor reviews. That would be Jim Dwight and Stanley.
1: I can't imagine a lot of Andy's customers would find him helpful and joyful to talk to.
0: I feel like Andy is...
1: A tryhard?
0: Yeah, he is... He would be good in this situation because... So when Kelly, Kelly, let's say Kelly makes this phone call and talks to one of Andy's clients and asks them, you know, how things went. I can't imagine that the client would have many complaints about how things were handled or anything like that. They probably just found him extremely annoying.
1: Right. Like, I'm just thinking back to season three when he went on the sales call with Michael. When they all went in pairs of two and he just... He's just not a good salesman. And I have to imagine he's always singing to his clients (laughs) either in person or on the phone. So, yeah, I guess it's more annoyance, not necessarily an abrasive or aloof sort of style.
0: Right. And so of the three people, I think Dwight would be getting the best reviews of the three. He'd be getting like if, if we're talking like one to five, like if if right. the scale is okay from on a scale of 1 to 5 with 1 being the worst how would you rate this person dwight is getting threes across the board because he's just very no frills like
1: yeah he's not going to be a warm let's chat for 5 minutes
0: he's not he's not going to go above and beyond and be like okay well let me let me let me see what i can do here with the numbers right. or let me make a couple of phone calls blah, blah 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 and I'll get back to you, and, and like he's gonna be like, nope, here's what I can do for you, and this is the offer that's on the table. He's going to make sure that everything is there on time and all that right. stuff. He has shown that before. But in terms of like making the customer want to come back or tell people about, right? You know, uh, tell other business owners about the the great service. That's not going to be Dwight's forte.
1: No, he's going to be efficient. And he's going to be available, but he's not going to maintain a personal relationship.
0: Right. And so I think Stanley is, would be one to be quick to annoyance. Yes. And Jim just wouldn't care.
1: Unfortunately, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. I think Jim would just be like, think back to season two. And, and we have seen career growth from Jim since season two. Think back to when Jim lost like his biggest client where he said he makes one phone call and that's something like a quarter of his commission every year. And that was when Pam laid her head on his shoulder and he was fine with that. So he's not, again, we have seen career growth. We saw him at the end of season four, really go after the junk mail guy. But... He's going to be okay with it. And that's actually kind of what happens here. So let's point out just for a second, because it's important to when Jim gets his results, Pam and Jim have decided that they're going to be on the phone with each other all day. So Pam found the world's tiniest Bluetooth in a Japanese gadget store in the village. And so that's how they are going to just be on the phone all day.
0: You can't see this because it's a podcast, but I am rolling my eyes heavily because as I have said before, I hate this storyline. It is amazingly stupid.
1: Yeah. Curtis really despises this. It kind of, I mean, the way it plays out though, it kind of plays out in the sense that Curtis is right because they're just on the phone. They're not obviously conversing because they're working at the same time but they're clearly hearing the situation that the other person is in and so then my thought is what are you going to talk about at the end of the day if you're doing you know daily check-ins or you know just have a longer phone call at night you you sort of don't have anything to talk about and i imagine that's people who work together just like Pam and Jim do but like when they go home they've already they know what happened in their days they don't really need to recount that so sometimes you're gonna have to have other things to converse about
0: and so this also begs the question do they just sit on the phone together at night as well like Uh are they spending a legit maybe 16 hours on the phone together
1: some people watch, uh, like my sister had a long distance relationship with her now husband and they had a show they really liked. So they'd like start the show at the same time on a video call. So they are like watching it together and then they could talk about it afterwards. So some people long distance do that. But I, I hear what you're saying where it's like, okay, I'm in the kitchen cooking dinner. Like they're just on the phone during that rather than I'm going to do, let's talk for an hour and do a little bit of a check-in. Or, hey, let's just converse. Like, my dad traveled a lot, and so he and my mom would always touch base. Like, sometimes he'd be gone for a week at a time, and he and my mom would always touch base in the evenings, whether it was a long phone call or just, hey, check in for 15 minutes. Like, you hear from me, you know, I'm going to tell you goodnight, talk to the kids, and I'll be home tomorrow or something.
0: The reactions that Jim and Dwight have to – their poor scores are very much different. Dwight thinks that someone is out to sabotage his scores because that's a very Dwight thing to think. He is very paranoid for pretty much the rest of this episode. Jim takes a very similar tact to what you alluded to with his losing that big client a couple seasons ago where it's just kind of like a, well okay he even says a very similar line when he has to tell Pam that his scores were bad Pam jokes that well you were flirting with the receptionist all year and Jim goes you're right worth it so in order to fix the problems that Jim and Dwight have Michael steps in and decides it's time to do a little role-playing
1: Michael decides that he needs to manage Dwight and Jim on a more micro level. Not really sure what that's called. He asked Jim, what am I saying? And Jim's like, microgiment. So in order to microgiment Jim and Dwight, Michael decides that Dwight is gonna be the salesman and he has to sell to Jim as the client without being aggressive, hostile, and difficult. So this simulation starts out somewhat normally Dwight sort of makes just a cold cold call and it goes off the rails a bit when Jim tells Dwight that his name is Bill Butlicker, and Dwight sensing he's about to be messed with sort of drops the facade of the salesman and says, really, is that your name? Jim stays in character the whole time saying, I built this country. How dare you? Michael being right there is like, Dwight. You have to be respectful. So Michael loves improv, not very good at it, but is actually doing very well staying in the role play with Jim here. Jim further plays up kind of making this difficult for Dwight by saying, hold on, that's my other line. Let me take this call. And so he's taking the call, but obviously Dwight can hear because they're sitting right across from each other. And Jim says to the pretend person on the other line, Yeah, I'm just on the phone with a stupid salesperson. I'm going to keep him on the phone forever and just not buy anything. Dwight starts to protest to Michael, and Michael says, it's your job to change it. So Michael's really intent on using this as a true exercise to change Dwight's sales style.
0: And it just gets crazier from here because when Jim comes back on the phone... He plays up that he is hard of hearing. So eventually, Dwight is just yelling into the phone.
1: <laughs> over and over, Dwight is yelling. "Our pr-, He starts out saying, our prices have never been lower. And Jim's like, I, I can't hear. You're going to have to speak up. Our prices have never been lower. I, I still can't hear you. And Michael's beside Dwight saying, he's, he's an old man. you got to speak up. To then the point where... Jim is purposely flustering Dwight. So then he's like, our prices have never been lower. And then <laughs> that's when Jim is able to be like, you're yelling at me.
0: Yeah, Michael chides him for yelling at an old man. And Jim describes Dwight as the three words that had been said before earlier in this whole role play. And so Michael is now just fully engrossed in this like he has lost touch with reality of course and he is just like i have to take care of this so he gets on the phone with william buttlicker who of course is jim and jim immediately turns off the kind of jokiness and says oh i like your voice michael i'm gonna buy one million dollars worth of paper from you and both michael and dwight are like celebrating at this point as if it's a real (laughs) one million dollar sale and jim says but you have to fire the person that i just talked to and again both dwight and Michael are in this as if it's a real sale. And Michael appears to be considering
1: it. (laughs) He's contemplating it. And I'm, I want to let Curtis speak because it's a joint podcast, but I'm sitting here like bursting because this is my favorite scene and I've seen it so many times where I'm like, that's not what he said. (laughs) My favorite part of the whole, of the whole scene is after Dwight yells, our prices have never been lower. And there's sort of this realization that he's blown it. Jim, Jim in just like a very calm, same tone of voice says, the three words I would use to describe you are aggressive, hostile, and definitely difficult. I'm irate right now, but he's not obviously really irate. I don't really know... We don't really see if there's, you know, they don't switch to Jim trying to sell to Dwight. There's no uh, reversal here. And we can't really tell if that solved the problem for Dwight and Jim's poor customer reviews.
0: So after this, they both go about their day. Dwight is on a phone call with a client, and he is letting this paranoia get to him. He... At one point, tells the client to shut up, which is, of course, not going to help him.
1: Yeah, not great for the hostility or aggressiveness.
0: And he thinks he hears breathing on the other end of the line. And he thinks it's Kelly. So he runs back to the annex and tries to catch Kelly on the phone, which, of course, wouldn't work because he... Legit says, Kelly, is that you? So that would be a point where Kelly would probably hang up.
1: And he tries to sneak up on Kelly. Like he kind of just jumps into her cube or nook back there. And he doesn't have any evidence yet. He just thinks Kelly's behind this because apparently for both Jim and Dwight, these scores are just wildly different than what they were the previous year, and they probably have mostly the same clients. So that's leading them to suspect that something's up. Like, that's just odd. Dwight even goes so far at one point to call Jim outside, comes screeching up in his car, and then just revs it into a parking spot, like, five feet away. Turns on Angel as a centerfold, the song super loudly to say, you know, customer service might be listening in to this conversation in this car. Like, that's where his paranoia has gone. And he says, we need to figure out, you know, who could be behind this. Is it the mob? And Jim's playing into this just as a joke. Well, do you think it's the mob? It could be NASA.
0: So Jim is very dismissive of this thought until a very chance conversation with Kelly. Jim goes to the Kitchen area. Kelly is there on break eating, you know, a snack or whatever. And Jim apologizes to Kelly about how Dwight acted and everything like that. And Kelly's just like, oh, it's it's fine. He's weird. And Jim asks, Hey, how are you and Daryl doing? And Kelly just goes, We're good. And she gets up and she leaves. Pam in Jim's ear points out that that was a really odd conversation with Kelly and Jim's not really seeing it. And Pam makes the point that have you ever had a conversation with Kelly that didn't involve her talking for 15 minutes without breathing? And Jim's kind of like, huh? Yeah, I I guess you're right. So he goes to the expert in the office on Kelly who is Ryan and asks, hey, do you know if anything's going on with Kelly? And Ryan's like, nah, I'm I'm going to stay out of this. I, I don't want to play the, the office politics thing anymore. And as he is saying this, he takes a drink out of his coffee mug. This coffee mug has Ryan's face on it with a star around it. Earlier in the episode, Jim is in the break area and getting some coffee. And he pours his coffee into a mug of the same style with Andy's face on it and Andy confronts him about it and so when he sees Ryan has the exact same mug Ryan's like yeah don't you have one too Kelly gave them out as party favors for her America's Got Talent finale watch party
1: which apparently everyone was invited to and Ryan swears that Jim was there
0: yeah and Jim kind of looks around the office and he sees that literally everyone else has this mug so he goes to Dwight and says, Hey, I think you're right. Kelly's mad at us because we didn't go to this party of hers. And Dwight is just overjoyed to be right about a conspiracy theory that he had in his head for probably the first time ever. Right. And so he and Jim go to Michael about this. And next we see Kelly in the office with Michael Jim and Dwight are also there for some reason. There's no way they would be in a normal setting. And Michael says, these guys think you gamed their numbers.
1: At first, Kelly is still resistant. Like, what are you talking about? This is crazy. And Jim then kind of brings down the hammer and says, we called about a dozen of our customers who said they all gave us good reviews. So you lied, you didn't actually put what they said into the report. At this point, the jig is up for Kelly. Dwight really wants to bring down the hammer and she confesses saying, well, you guys said you were gonna try to come to my party, but you didn't, so that makes you bad friends, which, oh boy, just bringing that sort of uh, petty into the, in a very important component of how money is given out in this office, quite frankly. So Dwight's ready to call security. He wants justice. Michael dismisses Jim and Dwight and says, I will call you when it's time. Like He wanted to talk to Kelly individually. Well, Michael is often in making invitations that people don't actually accept. And so he really has a level of compassion and just sees himself in Kelly's story here. And he tells her that he has made an extraordinary amount of guacamole over the years that no one has come to eat and he's just had to eat them all himself. So he understands it. So he's not going to really do anything to Kelly here. He says, okay, we need to make this look good. Can you make yourself cry? she does but then she starts laughing and then Michael starts laughing and Dwight and Jim are sitting at their desk like looking into Michael's office and realizing okay well nothing's gonna happen here
0: this is another one of those instances where Michael does something that is pretty much unforgivable that people just are like ah, okay yeah it's fine and the same goes for Kelly in this instance too I don't Foresee her right. having a good working relationship with Jim or Dwight um, from this point on. Jim and Dwight have both have very good points at saying, "Hey, uh, you tried to cost me like thousands of dollars. Yeah, we are not cool anymore." Like
1: I would be so absolutely pissed at my boss at if if I was in a situation that this happened, if I was Jim and Dwight, I would be irate. I'd be going to corporate. I'd be going to HR. Like, this wouldn't be the end of like, okay, hopefully we'll get the right reports and get it all recalculated. Like, this, if Dwight hadn't had pushed the issue or been like, no, this is weird, that would have been a pretty egregious, purposeful lie to just continue on unchecked.
0: Speaking of HR, something I realized in this episode, this is a situation both in real life and probably in this show in seasons past where an HR rep would be there. Yeah. And there isn't one.
1: Right. There's no screening HR person now.
0: Well, we have to assume there is because, I mean, if you think about it, on Toby's last day, he had to train his replacement. So you have to imagine that on Holly's last day, she had to train her replacement, and right. we just never see this person.
1: Right. Yeah, there's some, again, some like continuity sort of issues or yeah, we know that this documentary crew is filming a lot, but they love to introduce new characters. So yeah, it's just a little bit of a of a blip there uh, for sure. Andy is still in the height of wedding planning and as we know Angela has made it especially difficult just trying to find a location and it's funny because she seems open to any location in the United States but everything is just wrong and so Andy's new kick is a tent he has been looking at the Shangri-La tent, uh, who which is made by the best tentist on the East Coast. And Andy tells the camera that this man personally tented Giuliani's first and third weddings. And he's also on the phone talking to the tentist and asking, can you do the Shangri-La tent, which looks like a very fancy, it's not just a, a backyard you know, circus tent.
0: It also sounds impossible because Andy yes. says that it has two floors. Yeah,
1: like it's like um, if you're a Harry Potter fan, it's like Harry Potter of the Goblet of Fire when they go to the Triwizard uh, World Cup. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, when they go to the Quidditch World Cup and they're yeah. using the tent that Mr. Weasley borrowed from uh, his coworker, and it when they walk in, it's just this ginormous apartment essentially like that's what andy is describing (laughs) so it has like chandeliers and it's just this very beautiful thing and i just am reminded of my senior prom which was not like this but it was in a tent on a golf course and it was hot as heck in there so i mean because there were so many people packed into a not very big tent and it was also a warm day, so I have to imagine that would be a bit of an issue, depending on the timing. We know that Angela isn't one for, you know, fancy colors or anything splashy, so Andy's asking for walls and a ceiling of dark gray.
0: When Andy goes to Angela to tell her about the tent, she of course is very dismissive of it. She says, I don't want to get married in a tent like a hobo. (laughs) And Andy talks her into it and says this is like the grandest tent of them all and Angela keeps making excuses saying that her grandma Mimi can't be in canvas for that long which is of course just ridiculous. I
1: don't even know what that means.
0: And Andy keeps pressing and pressing and Angela finally relents and says but I have some stipulations. She says that it has to be in a hand-plowed field, and there has to be a barn with openings in the ceiling to where you can see the stars when you're laying on your back, and you can see antique tools when you turn on your side. So these are very specific requirements, and we learn that she is describing, pretty much to a T, shroot farms.
1: Andy hasn't, still hasn't quite put this together, I don't think he knew they were dating, they being Angela and Dwight since he came to the Scranton branch when they're still keeping it extremely hush hush. He really had no idea what was going on and then they had their breakup, which again, a lot of people didn't know they were dating except for really Jim and Pam. Once Andy figures out that all these requirements that Angela has just laid out for him specifically fit Shroot Farms, he's excited because like, I know the owner, I've already got it in we can make this happen. And so at the end of the episode, we see Dwight sitting with Angela and Andy in the conference room and describing the Excalibur package for both of them and saying, and mostly just talking and staring right at Angela, but telling Andy, you know, this wedding is now out of your hands. We will be available for you day or night. We're going to make this happen.
0: And so, yes, during this meeting, Andy is is like very excited about kind of, the full hands-on treatment that they are about to get. And Dwight says to him, "You have, you have the planning of this wedding is out of your hands. And this entire time, though, Dwight is basically speaking directly to Angela and more or less saying, you can call me whenever so we can go bang it out again.
1: And I don't know. So if you think back to last episode, this is when Dwight gave Angela the ultimatum. And she ended up choosing Andy. And he was pretty upset and he was asking Phyllis' advice. Like, what do I do now? So this seems a little incongruous with those feelings that he had. But it could also be a way of trying to get back in with Angela. Like Curtis said that, hey, I'm staring straight at you. I'm only talking to you. You call day or night. Like, call me. And trying to woo her in a sense. It
0: could also be... Dwight is taking what he can get at this point. Right, like if, right. If he knows that this relationship between Andy and Angela is still going forward and he is still having a relationship of some sort with Angela and he's kind of fine with that, then you know he has no reason to just end it. Right. The only other thing of note that we get in this episode comes from the just stupid storyline of Jim and Pam uh, wearing Bluetooths all day is that Pam is at work at the corporate office in New York and her friend Alex shows up and is just like, Hey, free wine and cheese at this building. It's going to be great. And Pam's like, I would love to go, but I got to work right now. And Alex pulls her out of the office and they go and just have a private conversation And Alex is really lobbying for Pam to stick it out in New York, says that you can't do New York in three months, and that if you really have any hopes of being an artist, if there's any part of you that really, really wants this, you can't just give up right now.
1: I'm annoyed with this because, again, the three months has already come and gone. She's been there for longer than three months.
0: Yeah, this is almost like this episode got misplaced in the timeline (laughs) and the probably like last three episodes or so that we have seen should have come after this when Pam has made her decision you're right I am gonna stick around in New York.
1: Of course Jim is listening to this whole exchange he says at one point that he thinks this guy is into her but he seems pretty wistful and contemplative after the conversation ends in which he kind of just the friend Alex just ends his speech and was like okay I'll see you tomorrow like he didn't demand an answer or anything It just wanted to give Pam food for thought and Pam does say like well Jim's in Scranton there's no resolution here but clearly there's the thought of okay should Pam be staying longer what should she do with this career that she wants. The only other uh, item I'd like to talk about relating to the Bluetooth is because Jim is talking to Pam the whole time, he's sort of mumbling or he's talking low and he sits right next to in an open floor plan to Dwight. And Dwight, this is after Dwight had just gotten his scores. And Jim's mumbling, and then he gets called into Michael's office, and Pam wishes him good luck. And so Jim is responding to that. Then J- Dwight has a one on one with the camera where he says, I've caught Jim talking to himself several times today. What a loser. Get a friend, loser. And it's just a really good quote.
0: It is a weird part of that storyline that the Bluetooths are never addressed with anyone. Like, Dwight, many times in the episode, is like, when Jim is talking to Pam, is like, says, who are you talking to? And Jim's like, I'm talking to Pam. As if it was obvious right. that that was going on. But that's also the point of having those Bluetooths because they are tiny. And like, so nobody is supposed to see them, I guess. Well, Which, for Pam, that works because she has hair. Yeah, But for Jim... You can see the Bluetooth in his ear, and nobody says anything about yeah, it. Yeah,
1: it looks like – I mean, it's black, for one. I mean, it looks like the size of a larger hearing aid.
0: Yeah. And so it is just – it's just—it's—it's another layer of that storyline that I think is just completely, completely dumb <laughs> in that they are talking to each other, and either – nobody says anything about it and it's just like uh what's going on here or somebody does say something about it and jim in the case of dwight saying it to jim and jim's just kind of like uh isn't it obvious what i'm doing here right so that does it for the episode let's go to the annex with antonette and find out any fun facts about the episode
1: so again season five doesn't have anything fun but this is directed by steven merchant who co-created the british version of the office So the likely reason for Pam's New York City storyline and why she doesn't have any scenes really with anybody else, like, we only saw Jim go there once, is because Jenna Fisher was shooting three films, like, around this time, is what we think, like, around the same time that they would have been filming season five, and Walk Hard And Blades of Glory were two of those. And at least in Blades of Glory, she has a pretty prominent role. Curtis, who gets fired this episode?
0: Well, we definitely lose Kelly for uh, gaming Dwight and Jim's survey numbers. Even though she doesn't actually get fired by Michael, she absolutely should have. It is Kelly's first firing this season. It's her third overall. We also lose Jim and Pam for their Bluetooth antics. Pam brings it up in an in interstitial at the very beginning of the episode that the company frowns upon eight hour personal calls. And so I don't see how not having that call on your work phone and instead having it with your personal phone right. via bl- Bluetooth is any different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that's not gonna fly. I mean, people have Bluetooths now. they're not necessarily as small, but I just cannot imagine someone being in the office in an open floor plan talking out loud on the phone for not a work call. I mean, people in my office get annoyed for loud work calls.
0: <laughs> so it is Jim's first firing of the season. it's his seventh overall. And it's Pam's first firing of this season. It's her fifth overall. Antoinette, do you have a Dundee to give out for this episode?
1: Yes, the Dundee Award for, are we gonna talk about this at all? It goes to Michael and Holly, in the sense that there is absolutely no recognition or anything being addressed about the state of their relationship. I mean, we are led to believe at the end of the episode of Employee Transfer that they just decided to end their relationship, but there was nothing officially said. And we know that Michael really liked Holly, so outside of the cold open where he pretends he's engaged, there's no Michael wallowing. We don't have any of the Michael we had in relation to his relationship with Jan, for instance yeah. so it's just a very odd quick shift away from holly and it does get addressed more next episode and at the end of the season but it's sort of something that in the past with michael's relationships with carol with jan pretty much gets addressed right away what is your dundee
0: the generous host award goes to kelly for giving out party favors for something as meaningless as a America's Got Talent season finale watch party?
1: Yeah, kind of probably expensive favors. At right? That. Yeah,
0: personalized mugs. Yeah. I can't imagine were very cheap to order.
1: I mean, she got them in bulk, but still. Yeah,
0: and I definitely sympathize with Jim and Dwight in this situation. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I, I I I. It's probably the same as like it's not the same magnitude obviously in terms of like a as big of a social event like but I have to imagine it's the same thing for people that go to Super Bowl parties yeah like if you don't follow the NFL or you don't have a favorite team you don't even know who's playing in the game you're not necessarily going to watch the game you're going to like have fun with friends and eat food and and stuff like that and so if you were one that hasn't watched a single episode <laughs> right. of America's Got Talent. Right. Why would you care about going to this party? But I do see the aspect of going for just hanging out with people.
1: Yeah, some summer party. Yeah, the you say that about the favors and how covetous people were about their cups. Like that's real in an office if they're shared cups.
0: That is very weird to me in general. That having
1: shared cups?
0: Not necessarily having shared cups, but like people keeping personal, especially something as like multi-use as a coffee mug, like keeping a coffee mug just in the kitchen in that anybody could grab at any point even though it's like it's your thing. Right, right. I wouldn't want – I mean, I'm not a germaphobe by any means, but, like, I wouldn't – if I saw somebody drinking coffee out of a mug that I use and I brought for my personal use, I'd be very weirded out about it. But at the same time, I guess that's what I get for putting it in a public area where anybody could just grab a mug and pour some coffee. I should have just kept that at my desk.
1: At my first job – we had mugs with the company name on it like quite a few but there was some mugs that had clearly been donated but we also had interns slash high school college kids that worked for us whose one of their tasks was to run the dishwasher so when you were done with your mug you just put it in the sink and then they would like take them all so you know they got clean I'm pretty sure but yeah and then because of that because of the aspect of like anyone could just leave it anywhere people would just like leave their mugs anywhere which was problematic if you're bringing outside people in but it'd be like in the copier room like who's it's just someone put down a cup of coffee left it didn't come back for it because they could just like grab another sort of thing but now like I have like a personal mug I keep at my desk and I wash out like every day
0: Who is your employee of the month?
1: I chose Dwight because he had an instinct and everyone was kind of telling him he was crazy, but he was actually right about it. He went a bit far in how he wanted to get justice for it, but that's Dwight. Who's your employee of the month?
0: I chose Kelly because she got the revenge that she wanted. She made her point and she didn't get punished for it, so she got away with it.
1: Yeah, if Michael had been any other boss that wasn't also searching for companionship and friends, I, that wouldn't have flown.
0: So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod in order to get the latest updates. And be sure to keep listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.